All right, well, good morning, everybody. Um, thank you guys for being here this morning. My name is um, Reggie, and uh, I'm one of the elders here at Redemption Church, and um, it's good to see you guys. So as some of you guys may know, um, our teaching pastor, Jeremy, has been on sabbatical uh, for the last few months, and um, his sabbatical is coming to the end in this coming week. So Jeremy and Melody and their family will actually be back with us next Sunday, um, but we are planning on having a guest um, from the Christian Missionary Alliance um, speak next Sunday in regards to how we, as a CMA church, can be involved in larger global missions. Um, so hopefully it'll be a uh, awesome time, but Jeremy and Melody will be back um, next Sunday. So over the last few weeks, though, um, through the month of January, we've been going through a series called Everyday Gospel, where we're essentially examining topics from everyday life that we all encounter, that we all deal with, and um, looking at Scripture to see um, how the gospel speaks into those situations. So we've talked about um, money, we've talked about marriage and singleness, we've talked about vocation, um, we talked about um, all sorts of things. Um, and so Today, we're going to wrap up that series, and uh, I'm going to spend some time this morning uh, specifically talking about functional idols, and I'll sort of dive into that in just a second as to what that means. But um, as we get going this morning, uh, let's pray, and then uh, we'll move on from there. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to be present this morning in this place. Thank you for Jesus, around whose name we can gather, and the, and the only reason that we can gather. God, thank you for the gift of your son on our behalf. And God, as we dive into your word this morning, as we spend just a little bit of time in examining some things that you would have us hear from your word, God, I pray that you would be at work in this place to speak to our hearts and minds, that you might draw us to yourself, that Christ might be lifted high, and that you might be glorified. And God, as I stand up here on the stage and talk God, I'm well aware of the fact that my words hold little meaning, God, but your words are of utmost importance. And so, God, I pray that we would hear your words. I pray that you would move me out of the way and lift Christ high. God, I pray that you would use me very specifically as an instrument of your grace and mercy, an instrument of the gospel and of your love. God, that Jesus might be proclaimed and that we might come to you. God, I ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So, like I said, over the last few weeks, we've been going through this series called Everyday Gospel. And essentially what this series is about is it's about discipleship. Um, and we've defined discipleship in this way uh, as we've been moving through this series. We're defining discipleship as leading one another to increasingly submit all of our life, time, work, relationships, finances, sexuality, leisure, whatever else, to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, like I said, as we wrap up this series, as we bring it to a close, we're going to focus in on one specific topic and one specific idea. Uh, and so as I start to go and dive into that topic, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. If you're familiar with 1 John you know what this little book is about. It's a book that's just over about 100 verses. Um, and the book of 1 John is really about what it means to be in a vital relationship and a vital, have a vital fellowship with 
Jesus. The overall theme of 1 John is really a call back to the fundamentals of the faith, a call to the basics of Christianity, a call to abide in Jesus. And John writes in a very loving and pastoral tone throughout the entire book of 1 John. But at the same time, he presents the the basics or the fundamentals of the Christian life in very absolute terms, not relative at all. He contrasts light versus darkness, truth versus lies, children of God versus children of the devil. And so he writes this very pastoral, very loving call to be in relationship with Christ and to what that looks like on the outside um, as that plays out in our life. And then he closes 1 John with six little words that seem completely out of place based on the tone of the rest of the book. And these are the words that we find in 1 John 5, 21. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's almost like John is this elderly grandfather speaking to young kids. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. But why? The question is, why? Why would John spend a whole book writing about what it means to live in a vital fellowship with Jesus? And the very last thing he says is, little children, keep yourselves from idols. In our culture and society, idols don't really make sense to us. We don't live in a place, in a society, in a town where people literally bow down and worship carved images of animals or people or other inanimate objects. We don't have the experience like the Israelites had where they made a golden calf when they were going from Egypt to Israel and said, this is our God, we'll worship this, this is who delivered us. That's foreign to us. And so when we hear the word idols in our modern context, in our Western society, it doesn't make sense to us. We don't relate to it at all. And that's really unfortunate because if you look at Scripture as a whole, I think Scripture has more to say about idols than probably any other topic spread out over the entirety of of scripture, and somehow we miss it. Somehow we don't get it. In their book that's called No God But God, Os Guinness and John Seal state this. Idolatry is the most discussed problem in the Bible, one of the most powerful spiritual and intellectual concepts in the believer's arsenal. Yet for Christians today, it is one of the least meaningful notions and is surrounded with ironies. Perhaps this is why many evangelicals are ignorant of the idols in their lives. Contemporary evangelicals are little better at recognizing and resisting idols than modern secular people are. There can be no believing communities without an unswerving eye to the detection and destruction of idols. Tonight, millions and millions and millions of people will tune in to watch a little football game. I will be watching it as well. Go Panthers. With that said, for the three or four hours that we watch this football game, we'll be inundated with commercials. And the commercials that we see, the marketing that we see, will be commercials where people 
and corporations and whoever else are inviting us to spend money on things that they promise will give us the desires of our heart. If we just have that thing, if we just look that way, if we're just able to drink that drink, whatever it is, it will give us the desires of our heart. Idolatry is a problem for us. And we must learn to identify and defeat our idols. So here's where we're going to go this morning. I'm going to spend a little bit of time, uh, I hope, properly defining and help us, helping us to understand what idolatry really is in our modern Western context. The scripture talks a lot about it. It's important. We need to understand it. Second, I want us to properly understand what idols do to us. And third, I want us to properly expose and learn how to fight the idols around us. If idolatry is the characteristic and summary Old Testament word for our drift from God, you see this over and over and over in the Old Testament, God's people worshiping idols. You see different terms in the Old Testament, uh, Baal or the Asherah poles or different things like this that you see over and over. But if idolatry is the characteristic and summary Old Testament word for our drift from God, then desires or lust of the flesh is the characteristic and summary New Testament word for the same drift. In Romans 1, through 24, Paul writes this, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts. The word lust there is the same Greek word for desire. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We as Christians are making a devastating mistake if we don't realize that idolatry in the form of the desires of our heart is still a problem for us in Augusta, Georgia on Super Bowl Sunday in 2016. The last line of 1 John and these verses from Romans properly leave us with the most basic question that God continually poses to each of our hearts. And the question is this, has something or someone besides Jesus taken title to your heart's trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight? It's a question worth asking because it's a question about discipleship. It properly deals with the definition of discipleship that we've been working from, submitting every area of our life to the empowering presence of Jesus. It bears on the immediate motivation for our behaviors, our thoughts, our feelings. In the Bible's conceptualization, the motivation question is a lordship question. It's a question of submitting to the lordship of Christ. And so who or what desires or what things function in my life as a functional substitute for the empowering presence of Jesus in my heart? What am I submitting to other than Jesus is the question before us all. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller frames it this way, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, if I have that, then I'll feel that my life has meaning, then I'll know I have value, 
then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. We're all created to worship something. And so the question of the desires of our heart and the question of idolatry in our lives is what are we worshiping? What are we pursuing to give us something that only God can give us? What are we pursuing in the desires of our heart that really will never provide anything at all? Let me give you some examples of things that become idols in our modern context. More, more often than not, these are not bad things, but they become evil things when we elevate them to the place of worship where they function as saviors rather than Jesus being our savior. Money, right? That's the idol of the modern business world. Jesus said you can't serve both God and money, and yet, um, in a very real sense, there are lots of people in our modern context who are pursuing money above all else. Romantic love, that's the idol of the entertainment world. It's the idol of every teenage boy and teenage girl. Romantic love, we can elevate that, thinking that some individual or some person, if we just have a relationship with that person, then our heart will be content. Children, children can be an idol. That's the modern South right there, right? This is my life in the suburbs. There are people all around me who live their life through their kids, elevating our children's happiness above their holiness and above their pursuit of Christ. I see it all the time. Artistic expression, This is the idol of many artists. Political ideology, man, that's all over our culture right now, right? You see it everywhere. Um, People are counting on a politician or some political ideology to save us. Doctrinal ideology, we see this in the church. I am saved because of the rightness of my belief rather than seeing that it's Christ alone who saves us. Morality, family, You know you have a family idol. If your life would not be worth living, if you would rather be dead than not have your family with you. Individual pleasure. Control. You know you have a control idol if your greatest nightmare is uncertainty. Approval. You know you have an approval idol if your greatest nightmare is rejection. Comfort. You know you have a comfort idol if your greatest nightmare is Stress and demands. Power, you know you have a power idol if your greatest nightmare is humiliation. And there are many others that I could go into. Darren Patrick says that to find your idol, ask yourself what you are unwilling to feel. And so we could go on and on and on and on to identify idols in our life. But here's what I want you to grasp. They're there. And as Christians... We must learn to fight, to identify those idols, to move them out of the way so that we are submitting appropriately to the lordship and the empowering presence of Jesus in our life rather than to these other things. You guys with me? That makes sense so far? Let's move on and examine for a minute what these idols do to us. Since we've briefly looked at what idols are, defined idols, giving you some examples of idols, Let's look at how idols affect us. Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. It's an incredibly interesting passage. Acts chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus. 
And we're going to read uh, a lot of verses here, verses 21 through 41. Um, so follow along with me. I'll be reading from the ESV version. If you have another version, the version I'm reading from will be on screen. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia in Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. And these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions to travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours... They all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. When the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. When he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is an interesting story in Acts chapter 19. Uh, because it's a record of something that happens. It's a story of something that happens because of what Paul was preaching. Typically, when there's a great assembly like this in the book of Acts, you see a sermon, you see one of the apostles actually say something and preach something. This happens as a result of what Paul had already been saying, that idols made from hands aren't real gods. And so they're brought, everybody's brought before these townspeople and we don't really hear a sermon. Rather, we hear what the idol makers are saying in this assembly. It's a, it's a story of what happened after Paul proclaimed the gospel. It's a story of what happens after Paul goes in and confronts the idols of Ephesus. Rabbit trail. The gospel always attacks idols. 
right? The gospel cannot be presented in such a way that it does not attack idols. The gospel is about Jesus being supremely uh, in charge of our life and nothing else. And so the gospel in and of itself is an attack on idols. And so Paul showed up in this town and he saw the idols and he exposed those idols as false and worthless. And what happened when Paul confronted their idols with the gospel? Utter chaos. Utter chaos for two hours screaming, great is Artemis. These people's way of life was threatened. Their love of money and their supposed love of Artemis, who was the Greek goddess of several things, they were threatened. And then things got violent. Like They reacted very strongly to the fact that the gospel attacked their idols. Here's what I want us to see, okay? Stay with me on this. Here's what I want us to learn. Uh, Idols, they seduce us and they draw us into complete intoxication, enslavement, and dependence. They steal the love that we should direct toward Christ alone. In idolatry, we are willfully exchanging what our hearts should love for a cheap substitute. Have you ever seen a child with a pacifier or a child who sucks her thumb? My youngest daughter, Laurel, sucked her thumb for several years when she was little. I don't really remember how old she was when she stopped, but I remember that she was old enough for us to to talk about it and um, as we were trying to get her to stop. And the reason she sucked her thumb was because at some point in her young life, it became a way for her to comfort herself, to soothe herself, to pacify herself maybe. But when it started affecting her teeth, we knew it was time for her to stop. The very thing that was bringing her comfort and some sense of peace was actually working to destroy the shape of her mouth in the form of her teeth. The idols we worship, in a very large sense, we think that they will comfort us and pacify us and soothe us, but really, they're functioning to change us. The idols that we face, job security, relationships, success, reputation, money, planning, comfort, love, family, are all good things. And they're all things that, unfortunately, we look to for functional salvation at times. But these things become dangerous and evil when we give them our ultimate allegiance, when these things become the central fixation of our lives rather than Jesus. Like a pacifier or like a thumb for a small child, our constant suck on our idolatry slowly but surely changes the deep structure and appearance of our hearts leaving us in more need than we could ever imagine. Here's what you need to know about your idol. In and of itself, it might be a good thing. It might very well hold no power on its own, but because of the sin in our hearts and minds, idols have come to hold significant sway and significant power in our lives. But know this about the idols that you love and the idols that I love.
they don't love you back. False gods don't love you. Idols don't keep their promises. Anything you worship and build your life on other than God will suck the life out of you and it will ultimately destroy you. Your idols, my idols, on their own, will destroy us. Your idols are more violent and more destructive than you can possibly imagine. It's why scripture speaks to them over and over and over. Your idols will not save you. Your idols will not come to your rescue. Your idols will not be the source of your salvation. Neither will my idols. They will destroy us. In Ephesus, when Paul confronted their idols, Artemis didn't show up to protect them from Paul and the gospel. Artemis didn't show up and restore social order. Artemis did absolutely nothing. And we're often blind to the reality that our idols will do nothing for us. We're often blind to the reality that everybody has a master. And idols make really, really bad masters. They enslave and they destroy. And until you identify the idols in your life, until I identify the idols in my life, we will feel enslaved tired, unhappy, unfulfilled, and we won't even know why. The very things that we might be pursuing for peace and comfort will never provide what we're looking for. You will feel this way until you discover the only master that can set you free, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the one master who will love you even when you fail him and your idols can't do that. Jesus is the one master who loved you when you were at your worst and who reigns over your life with perfect wisdom, power, goodness, and love. And your idols can't do that. He's the one master you can trust. And only he can give you freedom. I want you to feel the weight of how powerful idols can be in our life. I want you to understand that idols hold significant sway over us even when we may not understand that they do. I I want us to identify our idols. I want us to understand what idols are. But even more importantly than that, I want us to move to the place where we can defeat the idols of our life so that we are increasingly submitting every area of our life to the lordship of Jesus. That's what this whole series has been about increasingly submitting every area of our life. We've only talked about a few things in this series, but that doesn't mean there aren't other areas of our life that Jesus is calling us to submit to him. And we understand the idols in our life, and we understand the things that are taking the place of Jesus in our life. Once we understand what they are, we must seek to defeat them and destroy them so that Jesus has the rightful place in our hearts and minds. Let me remind you again of what 1 John 5:21 says. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The call on our life this morning is to expose and defeat and destroy the idols of our heart, the idols that seduce us and blind us and ultimately destroy us. 
And where do we go to destroy idols? The answer is simple. But the work of destroying them is hard. We go to Jesus. We go to the gospel. Flip over just a couple of pages to Acts chapter 17. We have a recounting of Paul when he goes to Athens and confronts some idols in Athens. But Acts chapter 17, look at verses 16 through 18. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. In verse 16, Paul sees that the city was full of idols. And in verse 18, we're told Jesus, I mean that Paul was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. How do we fight the idols of our heart? We fight them with Jesus and the gospel and the truth of his resurrection. We fight them with the truth that Jesus died to defeat Satan's sin and death forever. Jesus rose again to give us life in him. Where do we go to defeat our idols? We go to the gospel. We go to Jesus. For every idol that we worship, the gospel has something to say about it. You idolize control? Jesus teaches in Matthew 6 that God is in control of all your needs, so there's nothing to be anxious about. You idolize approval? Jesus died for you so that you can be fully accepted by God. What good is man's approval when our identity comes from Jesus and Jesus alone? You idolize political ideology? Let me tell you something. There's nobody running for president that's going to die for your sins. And in Psalm chapter 2, Scripture says that God looks down from heaven and laughs at the plans of earthly kings and earthly rulers. Nothing, absolutely nothing, other than Jesus is worth our worship. We defeat idolatry and we destroy the idols of our heart and our culture by turning to Jesus and the resurrection and the truth of the gospel. A relationship with Jesus starts when by God's grace and God's calling on your life and God's action through the work of the Holy Spirit, you identify and turn from your idols and turn to Jesus instead. When you study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, notice that Jesus was always, always throughout his ministry, constantly identifying and challenging people's idols, whatever they might be, calling them to turn from false beliefs, false objects, in order to follow and worship him. I I am convinced, I'm absolutely convinced that the reason there's so much shallow Christianity in our culture is because many people never displace the idolatry in their lives with Jesus, but instead simply bring in Jesus as an add-on and keeping something else in the center. And it doesn't work that way. We think freedom is found in casting off all restraint and being the masters of our own lives. But being a disciple of Jesus is about increasingly submitting every area of our life to the empowering presence and the empowering lordship of Jesus. 
And it is imperative that we fight the things that take the place of Jesus in our heart, whatever they are. It's going to be different for you than it is for me. The desires of my heart are going to be different than the desires of your heart. The things that I idolize are going to be different than the things that you idolize. But that doesn't mean that the gospel doesn't have something to say about it. It doesn't mean that Jesus... um, It doesn't mean that we... What it does mean is that we all turn to Jesus in order to destroy the idols. We turn to the gospel to destroy the idols that take precedent in our heart. Here's here's what I want you to understand. Uh, uh, Over the entirety of these series, this is what we really wanted to do. We wanted to point out some very specific areas of our life where we have trouble submitting to the lordship of Jesus. And today... It's the conclusion to this everyday gospel. And it's with the understanding that there are other areas of our life that need to be uh, in submission to the Lordship of Christ. There are other areas of our life that we need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. And so in as much as we've talked about different things over the course of this series, we've constantly pushed you back to the gospel back to your missional communities, back to your DNA groups to continue to discuss these topics, to continue to examine scripture in light of what we're talking about. So I would encourage you as you leave here to not walk out of here just listening to, having listened to me rant and rave for 20 or 30 minutes or however long it's been. Let me encourage you to go back to scripture. Let me encourage you to seek Christ. Let me encourage you to go to God And ask God to identify the idols of your heart. Let me encourage you to turn to Scripture, turn to the gospel, that those idols might be defeated and that every area of our life might come under the submission and the lordship of Jesus. Right? It may take you having some conversations with people. It may take some accountability. It may take discussions in your missional communities, in DNA groups, whatever it may be. But let me encourage you to continue this conversation. It is vital. It is necessary. And it is way more important than we may ever realize. So in as much as we're wrapping up this series this morning, please understand we're wrapping this up with the, with, with, with the hope that you will continue to go to the scripture, that you will continue to go to the gospel, that you will continue to look to Jesus in the resurrection to defeat and destroy the idols that take precedence in our hearts and mind rather than Christ. We're going to close our time together and enter into a time of response. And um, there will be uh, several opportunities for you to respond over the next little while. Uh, in just a little bit, I'm going to pray for us. But before, And after I pray for us, um, the band's going to come back up here on stage and they're going to continue to lead us in some songs uh, and give us an opportunity to, uh, to worship through singing. Also, during this, uh, th- during this time, um, you have an opportunity to give. There's giving basket in the back, which if you're part of Redemption Church, it's an opportunity for you to worship um, through giving. During this time, there's also an opportunity for you to respond to what God is speaking to your hearts and minds this morning in a variety of ways. One of those is to sit right where you are and pray and reflect and, um, and meditate on whatever it is that God is leading you to this morning, whatever God is speaking you to this morning. Also during this time, um, there'll be a couple people available in the back. Um, if you know who Ben is, Ben will be back there. Um, I'm not sure who else, 
But uh, Ben will be back there. And if you have any questions about anything, if you want to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, if you want somebody to pray with you, if you want to talk more about what it means to respond to Jesus, whatever it may be, uh, there'll be a couple of people in the back who can, who can help you, who can pray with you, who can point out what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to turn to Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, whatever it may be. Uh, so please, if, if you need somebody to talk to or in some way of responding, um, then, we'll, then we'll make sure that happens. Uh, and also during this time, we're going to take communion. Um, every Sunday we take communion, and here's the reason why we do this. In 1 Corinthians, Paul teaches that when we take communion, we're doing it to remember what Christ has done for us, and we're doing it to proclaim to one another, one another that we believe the gospel. We're doing it to say to one another we actually believe the gospel, that this is real, it's true, Jesus did something up for us on our behalf. And so I would invite you to come and take communion if you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're a member of this church or not. Communion is available for you, but understand that by taking communion, you're saying, I believe the gospel, I'm remembering what Christ has done, and I'm proclaiming to those around me that I believe it. So if you're not a believer, communion's not for you because you can't say those things. Uh, but if you are a believer uh, and Christ gives you the freedom to do so, then communion is here as a way for you to respond and worship and proclaim and remember together what Christ has done for us on our behalf. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll move on from there. Holy Father, thank you for the reminder from your word um, that you and you alone are worthy of our worship. God, that you and you alone have acted on our behalf to save us and to draw us to yourself, that you and you alone have acted on our behalf when we could have never deserved it. And so, God, we thank you for the reminder for your, your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that even now we can spend some time remembering and responding to Christ's work on our behalf. And so as we continue to respond in whatever ways you lead us to, um, God, I pray that you would continue to draw us to yourself. I pray that Jesus would uh, continue to be lifted high, that we would look to Jesus and Jesus alone. And God, we ask all these things in the name of your Son.